Tonight's scripture reading comes from three passages, Matthew 3.11, Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, and 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5. We'll start by looking at Matthew 3.11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then turn to Acts 2, verses 17 and 18. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And finally, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1-5. through 5. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. The word of the Lord. This summer, we have been studying the baptism of the Spirit. Um, And one of the things that uh, all Christians, I think, agree on is that when the Spirit fell on the believers at Pentecost, that was the first uh, baptism of the Spirit in Scripture. And Peter explains what happens by quoting Joel, uh, who Lisa just read. And Joel says that, When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit inaugurates the new covenant, one of the marks of the new covenant will be that uh, manservants and female servants, all flesh, shall be able to prophesy. Under the old covenant, of course, we've looked at this idea that uh, the spirit of prophecy came upon a few, uh, only momentarily, but Joel says that in the last days, uh, the spirit of prophecy will be much more democratic Uh, He will rest on uh, everyone, regardless of social status or class. Now, what does that mean? If if Joel is saying that spirit baptism uh, is marked by the gift of prophecy, what does that mean? Well, one of the things that we've been uh, doing over the course of our, our summer is noticing that different believers understand these things in different ways and It's important that we understand the different approaches. Last week we talked about the different approaches to the whole question of these charismatic gifts, the prophecy being one of them. 
And we say that one of the ways, a strong tradition with a lot of good biblical support, is called cessationism. And that's the belief that gifts like prophecy ceased uh, at the end of the apostolic age. Uh, and we went through all the, the reasons for that last week. So uh, if you are a cessationist, uh, if you are a believer who, who believes that these gifts are no longer present in the church today, you, you kind of have an easier job with the gift of prophecy because you believe that it was for then but not for now. So you don't really need to do much with it. Now, there's a slight variation on this. John Calvin and the Reformers uh, said that the gift of prophecy was anointed preaching. Um, so they felt that a powerful sermon was the gift of prophecy. Now, the other way to look at the gifts of the Spirit, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit, are that they continue in the body of Christ today, and hence the name continuists. And continuists have quite a few texts to work with. Uh, as a matter of fact, the baptism of the Spirit, or rather the the gift of prophecy is mentioned many more times than any other gift in the New Testament. So what does it mean? Well, one of the things folks in, in the continuous tradition will, will point out off the bat is there are a number of places in the New Testament where uh, Paul or a, a gospel writer will refer to pastors and teachers or pastors and teachers and uh, prophets, or prophets and evangelists, or prophets and apostles. And what they point out is uh, that why would Paul be distinguishing between teachers and pastors and prophets if prophesying was the same thing as teaching? So a continuist will say, you know, prophecy must be something different than just powerful teaching. So what, what is it? If, if you think it exists today, what is it? Well, the way I want to approach this tonight is I, I want to look at three different types of texts that deal with the gift of prophecy. The first type offers a list of spiritual gifts. The second type describes the gift of prophecy in action. And the third type uh, provides instruction about the use of the gift of prophecy. So let's begin there and look at that. Next week, um, I'll be at the Smoky Mountain Swim Meet with the, the swim team. Stephen Otis will be preaching. If uh, you do not believe the miracle in the Old Testament where Joshua stopped the sun and time stood still and the day went on forever, you have never been at a swim meet. Um, okay? That will happen next Sunday. Uh, and I invite you to join me. In two weeks, Lord willing, we'll just see wherever this series goes. Um, so, let's go. If you have a Bible, if not, I'm going to read a number of texts to you tonight. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11. And we're going to look at these and see if we can deduce from them what this gift of prophecy is. We'll just start in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to other the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, 
to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, so, list of nine gifts that Paul says the Spirit gives to the church. I want to make two observations here, both from verse 7. Paul says that all of these gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Uh, We could translate that word showing of the Spirit. And so what appears to be happening is that the Holy Spirit shows himself through the manifestation of one of these nine gifts. So the gift of prophecy is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit shows himself or reveals himself when a community comes together in prayer and worship. And then the other little phrase I want you to see is Paul says that each of these gifts are given for the common good. And so whatever the gift of prophecy is, its ultimate purpose must be building up the the body of Christ. Now, the next gift list is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. There we read. Or rather, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So here Paul says that The Holy Spirit gives gifted people to every congregation to help the congregation grow. He gives them pastors, teachers, evangelists. Uh, He gives them apostles. You could understand that as one time or continuing. We went into that last week. He also gives every congregation uh, prophets. Now, one of the things that we'll want to ask is, well, wait a minute. I thought we just saw in Joel 2 that everybody can prophesy. So why would some people be called prophets if everybody can prophesy. Well, probably what this means is that the individuals in the congregation that use the prophetic gift uh, over time with maturity and skill and fruitfulness and accuracy, uh, people that the body affirms with that gift, eventually are identified as uh, prophets within the body. Now, the last gift list is in Romans chapter 12. Verses 6-8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So all Paul's doing here is identifying uh, some of the gifts that are present in a local church uh, and how they're functioning. And he just casually mentions that prophecy is one of them. And he says, if you happen to have the gift of prophecy, uh, you're to use it according to your faith, which a little hard to know exactly what he means, but probably it means something like stepping out in faith and, and using that gift. Now, those are the three gift passages where we see, uh, see prophecy. Now, what I want to look at next are texts that describe how the gift of prophecy was used in the early church. 
Um, and a number of them will be in the book of Acts. We'll go to Acts 11, 27 to 30. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So, a group of prophets comes down and visits Paul in Antioch. One of them uh, prophesies a famine, and it's interesting that the historian Suetonius confirms that during the reign of Claudius, there were several droughts. And the prophet encourages them to send relief to the church living in Judea. So here is a a prophecy that mobilizes the church to care for their brothers and sisters in need. Now the next one we see is Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was, uh, and several other names. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So Paul is, is, is in a prayer meeting. Uh, with the, the leaders, the elders of the church of Antioch, and evidently they're praying about where to go next. This is before any of his great missionary journeys. And a prophetic word is given, and they are effectively sent out on the first missionary journey. So in this example, a prophetic word guides the mission of the church. Now, Acts 15, verses 30 to 35 is the next example. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they'd spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers and those who'd sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Paul's missionary team returns to Antioch. They have a letter from the apostles in Jerusalem. And the letter had to deal with the fact that the Gentiles did not have to keep the law of Moses uh, to be saved. And two of the missionary team, Judas and Silas, prophesy to encourage and strengthen the brothers. Now the next place we see the gift work is Acts 21, verses 8 through 9. On the next day, Luke says, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. In Greco-Roman culture, uh, to be an unmarried daughter was to be very low on the the social hierarchy. And so one of the things that Luke seems to want to point out to us is that in the upside-down value system of the kingdom of God, 
Even these uh, young women who had low social status are uh, given the ability to prophesy. Now, the next one's an interesting one. It's right after this, Acts 21, verse 10 to 16. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus, the same guy, and I think we're about 12 years later, so he's been uh, faithfully ministering for many years, came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands, and he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Now, what's happening here? The the prophet brings a, a word that essentially says, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll be persecuted. And the people interpret that to mean... Don't go. That couldn't be God's will that you'd be persecuted. And Paul says, actually, I think I'm supposed to go knowing that I'm going to be persecuted. And that is what happens. And what that tells us about prophecy is that prophecy often requires interpretation. Uh, Just because somebody hears something or sees something doesn't necessarily mean you know what to do with it. Uh, Paul interpreted it differently than his friends. Now, there are just a couple other passages in the New Testament that describe how prophecy functioned in the early church. 1 Timothy 1.18 is one. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Now, Timothy is a young church planner. He's in a difficult mission field. If you read 1 Timothy, you see that he's struggling. He wants to quit and go home. He has elders who are teaching false doctrine. He's very discouraged. And so Paul says, uh, Timothy, I want you to remember when we commissioned you to be a church planner. Do you remember how we laid hands on you And several of us gave prophetic words that confirmed your calling. And what he's saying is, I want you to remember that this wasn't my idea. The Holy Spirit sent you here. Remember the the, the confirmation of the prophetic utterance at your commissioning service. I like the old King James, Timothy's to fight the good fight according to the prophecies which went before on thee. (laughs) Now, 1 Timothy 4.14 is a similar reminder. Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So again, he, he seems to be calling to mind this commissioning service, whether there was one or more, I, I, we can't tell, but... And what happened was, Timothy, a young man, was being set apart for ministry. The elders laid hands on him. There was prophetic words that accompanied his gifting and and calling and anointing to this work. Now, the third group of texts that we'll end with 
uh, offer instruction on prophetic ministry. And there's two places where that happens, one in 1 Corinthians 14 and one in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. So let's go to the 1 Corinthians 14 passage, which we will not go very deep in tonight. The letter to the Corinthians is a response to different questions that the Corinthian church had raised to Paul and sent him in a letter. And one of the ways you can tell that a new section is beginning or a new response is beginning is Paul will start by saying, now concerning. And so in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And he is going to answer their question about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, 13, and 14. And he specifically talks about prophecy in chapter 14. And let's just look at a couple verses there. He begins, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now again, the purpose of all gifts, and particularly the gift of prophecy, is love. It's uh, the ability to help someone, to serve someone, to help them grow. And then he, he says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, The one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, what appears to be happening here is the Corinthians uh, are praying in tongues in the church service with such enthusiasm that no one is bothering to interpret what is being said. And Paul says, look, guys, I'm all for the gift of tongues. I do it myself. It's a great gift between you and God. But when you are in the congregation, if no one can understand what you're saying, how is that supposed to be building up others? Prophesy when you're in a community of other people. And again, we see the purpose of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.3. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So you see a theme here. The gift of prophecy is building somebody up, encouragement, comforting, consolation. Now, if you'll skip down to verse 23, Paul says, If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, that is a helpful little passage because... It, it tells us a little bit about what the gift of prophecy is. It's, it's not just a, a natural wisdom or a hunch or, um, hey, John, I just really appreciate you. Thanks for working with the kids. That, that's 
good, but that's not prophecy. What has happened here, he uses the word secret. Uh, the secrets of the heart are disclosed. Prophecy is when the Holy Spirit reveals a secret to you, or discloses something that you would not naturally know for the sake of, of loving uh, another. Um, Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now, a couple of observations from that that paragraph. We've already seen one. Prophecy discloses the secrets of the heart. It is supernaturally revealed insight. Second, prophecy is a kind of revelation. Uh, when we prophesy, the Holy Spirit reveals insights to us for the sake of building up another. Third, the gift of prophecy is to be used in an orderly way. Uh, there is not to be some sense of being swept up in a, in a frenzy of ecstasy where you're no longer in control and can't control yourself. Clearly, the prophet is in control because Paul says, stop after three. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. This is not uh, uh, Bonnaroo in the spirit. This is uh, something different than that. Uh, there, there is order here. Uh, now, fourth, prophecy is not authoritative like Scripture. Now, I think this is very important. This is small r revelation because, I mean, can you imagine um, the prophet Jeremiah comes into the synagogue, thunders uh, a prophetic word, and, and somebody's saying, Oh, well, let's submit that to two or three people and weigh it and see what we think. No, the Old Testament prophets never functioned that way. They, they spoke with, thus saith the Lord authority. But you see something different in the New Testament. Uh, when, when the prophets speak, it's not with the authority of Scripture. Uh, it's always to be tested and weighed and discerned and submitted to. Now, there's one last passage where there's a little bit of instruction, and that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22. Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit, and this is all connected in the Greek, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And that word quench means put out the fire. So, so Paul says, look, I don't want you to put out the Spirit's fire by despising prophecy. But what I want you to do is to uh, test it, to discern it, to weigh it. And if it's good prophecy, hold on to it. If it's bad prophecy, uh, let it go. Now, that's almost every... New Testament reference outside of the Gospels to the gift of prophecy. And so let me try a working definition uh, on you of the gift of prophecy based on all the texts that we just read. Uh, The gift of prophecy is sharing something God 
has spontaneously and supernaturally brought to mind in order to build up another. Let me try that again. The gift of prophecy is sharing something God has spontaneously and supernaturally brought to mind in order to build up another. And let's just review. Uh, We looked at all these passages, a couple of things we've learned tonight. The purpose of prophecy is to build up. Everyone is encouraged to prophesy, but the body may recognize those who become mature in the gift as prophets. Prophecy is not authoritative like Scripture. Prophetic words must be weighed and tested. Prophecy is small r revelation. It's more than a hunch or an idea. It is an insight given by the Spirit that you would not naturally know. And some prophecy requires interpretation. Now, over the years, uh, I've sometimes been asked, well, you seem to be a continuist. People don't usually use that language, but um, you, you seem to believe in this. Uh, why don't we have a time for prophecy in our service? And, and I'd, I'd give two answers to that question. One is, uh, because not everyone in our congregation believes in prophecy. Remember, this is a second-order teaching. So if we're really to be a church where we can all come together with our different beliefs, then it wouldn't make it a safe place if we prophesied in here because we have uh, folks with different understandings of the gift of prophecy. Um, So that's one of the reasons why we don't do it. The other reason why is Paul's letters were written to small house churches that were about the size of a large small group. And over the years, this is something that I've, I've learned and I really believe in. I think if you believe in the charismatic gifts the best place to practice them is in small, intimate communities with deep trust where you know each other. And you can say, you know, that didn't really make sense to me, or that was really powerful, or explain what you meant by that, or let's look at the fruit of this. We've been doing this since December, and I feel like we haven't been in the Word since. You know, you can have honest conversations about the fruit. Even in a, We're not that big, but even among 200 people, uh, we don't know each other. We don't know, you know who's speaking. We don't know how it's affecting people. So it just doesn't seem like a wise idea um, to use it that way. Now, I, I just wanted to end real quickly by going over the, the strengths and, the, and weaknesses of both a cessationist and a continuous approach. I, I sincerely appreciate um, the, the cessationist view on the gift of prophecy. There, there are some very good reasons for saying, let's not practice this gift because we don't think it's for today. Uh, there's some biblical reasons that we looked at last week. There's some very pastoral and pragmatic reasons uh, for, for just saying, not going to go there. It, it, it creates more stability, for one thing. Um, it's, it's safer, honestly. Uh, if, if you conclude... I don't think that's the way the Spirit speaks. Let's just focus on the Scriptures. That's enough for me. Uh, I appreciate that. And for many years, that, that was what, what I believed. Because when you open up the door to, to some of this, it can get messy. So the strength of the cessationist position that says we're not going to, we just don't think that's what the Spirit's doing today. We're going to stick with the Word. It creates stability. 
It focuses, makes a real firm focus on the Holy Scripture. Uh, there, there's some really good, good reasons for the cessationist approach. Now, on the continuous side, uh, I think the, the strength is uh, an, an openness or an awakening to a conversation with the Spirit, a way of, of hearing the Spirit that um, can, can, can press into the heart in a, in a very unique way. At least that's been my, my own experience and can encourage in a, in a very unique way. But it's messier. It's, it's, really, it's really messier. And I, there's a great quote about this I couldn't find, but it's by a guy named Ken Geyer. And he said, you know, you kind of got a choice in a house. If you open up the window to let the breeze in, some flies are going to come in as well. And I, I think that's one of the things that you have to choose as you particularly think about the gift of prophecy and whether you want to explore that biblically. If you open up the, the window... Um, some flies will come in too. You've got to decide whether you want that. Now, I'll end with this. I do think this is, this is very important because we are a congregation where some of us believe in these gifts and some of us don't. I think this is an area where you ask permission. I don't think you just lock and load. Um, I think you, if... if, if you know, one of the things we talk about at All Souls all the time is find your people. And whether that's a formal small group or the three people you're really connecting with and you decide at dinner tonight, you know, why don't we get together to pray and study the scriptures? That's, that's my dream. I think that's our dream is that everybody in here has a handful of people where you're regularly studying the scriptures and praying together. It doesn't matter where it is, how it is, when it is, but that's a big part of our church's life. I think that's the place where you start to walk this out. And I think you do it by, if you want to do it, you ask permission. And you say in your small group on Wednesday night, or you say to your, your roommate or whoever, hey, I've been studying the scriptures, this is something I'd like to explore. Is that something you want to explore, you feel led to explore? And, and here is where we need to be real honest with each other, because if you're not feeling led by the Spirit to explore this, either because you don't think, that it's biblical or because you just don't sense the Lord's leading you to do this, you have to speak up. You can't expect people to read your mind. And you have to say, as someone did to me once not too long ago, uh, I'm not really there. Um, I'd rather just enjoy fellowship in other ways um, right now. Okay? So I think that's... That's enough on prophecy for one week. Let's pray.